Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter <clears throat> chapter 18, verses 21 to 32. I invite you to turn there with me. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 21 through 32. This is God's holy word for us, his people today. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them He shall die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This is God's holy word for us today. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Teach us your word, O God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Write your truth upon our hearts, we pray. Empower now the preaching of your word that we might receive it with faith and with eagerness to obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we are continuing our series for Lent, looking at the topic of repentance. And today we come to the third sermon in our series on repentance. And today we're going to cover the third gospel benefit of repentance. Remember the structure of what we're doing. The first three of our six-part series, the first three are going to be gospel benefits, the things God does for us by His grace and mercy when we repent. 
And then the second three will be things God requires of us to have authentic repentance that he accepts. The first gospel benefit we looked at two weeks ago was healing. Repentance is healing. Repentance heals our conscience, our mind, and our heart that's been wounded by sin. And the second gospel benefit we looked at last week, that repentance is cleansing. Repentance cleanses our criminal record and our corrupt heart. And this morning, we will look at the third gospel benefit of repentance. Today, we see that repentance is canceling. Repentance is canceling. Now, in these three sermons, each benefit that we look at is calibrated to undo the effects of sin at every level that sin affects us in our lives. Sin is destructive in many different ways. And so the Bible depicts sin in a variety of different images. The benefit of healing depicts sin as this malignant growth in our souls that needs to be cured. The benefit of cleansing depicts sin as a legal stain on our record before God's justice and as a moral stain on our hearts before God's holiness. And God's forgiveness of our sins brings healing when we open ourselves up to Him in repentance and ask Him to perform that spiritual surgery that we need and remove that sin that we had been clinging to and harboring, and hiding in our unrepentance. God's justification, His forgiving pardon of our sins, it brings cleansing to our blemished record by blotting out our transgressions. And by His Holy Spirit, when we repent, God cleans up our hearts, and He renews our spirits. He washes away that old corruption. That we bring to him when we repent. Repentance brings these benefits of healing and cleansing. And this brings us to the benefit of canceling. How is sin depicted according to this benefit? Well, in our passage, The prophet Ezekiel depicts sin as unrighteous deeds that transgress God's law, but his focus isn't on the transgressions. His focus is on the fact that these deeds are the evidence on the basis of which we are condemned by God. When we repent, however, God cancels our condemnation by overturning and throwing out the evidence that is stacked up against us. Now, to see how this works, let's turn to our text, and I want us to notice, first of all, the covenantal context in which Ezekiel is preaching to the Jewish people. The covenantal context. Ezekiel is preaching to God's covenant people, whom he addresses five times in our passage as the house of Israel. 
O house of Israel, O house of Israel, five different times. God's covenant with Israel is front and center for this passage. It's all about the covenant agreement that God has made with Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. And one of the ways you can think about the prophets is not as these sort of crystal ball reading fortune tellers. Almost always when we hear about the word prophet or prophecy, we think, you know, forecasting the future, telling us a prediction about what's going to happen. But that wasn't even close to the main job of a prophet in the Old Testament. The main job of a prophet has been described like this. These guys are covenant enforcers. They are preaching the terms of the covenant of Moses and the law of Moses. And they are pressing on the people of Israel either their disobedience and unfaithfulness or making promises to them about their faithfulness. If you will repent and do this and believe and turn and live like this, then God will do this. That's the kind of prophesying they do. Sometimes they predict the future, that's true. But most of the time they are telling the people, This is what God's word says. This is God's covenant. This is what God promises and threatens. And this is what you promised to do. And you're not living up to it. And so here come the covenant curses. These are covenant enforcers who are preaching God's covenant conditions to Israel. And that's this first point. God's covenant with Israel is based on a series of covenant conditions. Now, what in the world are those? Covenant conditions are the terms of the covenant. Covenant conditions are the stipulations of how God and his people have sworn on oath to act towards one another. Covenant conditions have promises and punishments attached to them. And these are usually stated, these these stipulations of punishments and promises, it's usually stated in Scripture in this sort of if-then formula. If you do this, dot, 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 then this will happen. If this, then this. If you do this, then I will do that. That's normally how these are stated. But they can also be stated this way. They can be stated as a when-shall condition. Or when this happens, that shall happen. When a person does this, this is what shall happen as a result. So these are the conditions. If then or when shall is the language that Ezekiel uses in our passage to talk about these covenant conditions. We get both kinds in this passage. And I want us to see the covenant condition that's attached to repentance. Repentance is canceling, and Ezekiel preaches this promise to Israel. Ezekiel proclaims that God's promises to cancel the condemnation of sin for all who repent. We'll see this in our text. Look at verses 21 and 22. God, through the prophet, says this to the house of Israel. If a wicked person turns away... From all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He will not die. Why? Verse 22. None of the transgressions he has committed 
shall be remembered against him for the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. And he repeats this in verses 27 and 28 where he says, Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is right and just and right, he shall save his life. Why? Because, verse 28, because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live. He will not die. Now, in these four verses, I want us to notice three things about this promise that repentance is canceling. First thing to notice, notice that repentance has two parts to it. Two parts, and you got to have both. Here are the two parts. Repentance is a turning from, and repentance is a turning to. A turning from and a turning to. Look, we'll just take one of the verses as an example. Verse 21. If a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall live. So you see those two parts? The point is this. Repentance is not stagnant. Repentance never sits still. Repentance is about movement. I was following this course of action. I was traveling down this path of life. But all of a sudden, I turned. And when I turned, I didn't put the car in park and sit. No, I turned off that path, and now I'm going another direction. Not sitting still, but I'm on the move. I was heading down this life of sin and rebellion and unrighteousness and disobedience. And now I've turned off of that road and I'm on another road. And I'm moving in that direction. I am following the Lord. Pursuing obedience, pursuing righteousness, pursuing God's law, pursuing obedience to God. Repentance has two parts. Notice that first of all. It never sits still. It's a turning away from one thing and a turning to another. Second thing to notice. Notice that the condemning evidence gets canceled. Verse 22, first part of verse 22. None, just hear this gospel good news today. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. That's what my old country preacher used to call shouting ground. <laughs> That's hallelujah shouting ground. You mean all that disgusting, despicable, regretful, nasty life of sin, all those mistakes and all the stupid, sinful things I've said and that those bad desires and all the bad thoughts I've had and all the way I've mistreated people and just just fumbled in my, my responsibilities. Just, even all that life of sin is going to be forgotten, and not by just, you know, me or you, but by God? That's shouting ground, we used to say in the old country church. Hallelujah, praise God, glory, run the aisles, wave the hankies. That's, that's what that, now, don't, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and you're not capable, you're Presbyterian. But that's what we call gospel good news, glorious good news. Get up and shout, Tom. 
Because when I wake up in the morning and I hear this promise, if I repent, if I turn from and turn to, he's going to forget all that stuff I was doing when I was heading that way. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. Now I can dance in the morning because I'm forgiven. Great is his faithfulness. It's new every morning. His mercies for me. If I'll just repent, all that evidence that says you deserve death and hell and the worst of God's judgment, you can get up and say, you're exactly right. I do deserve all that, but I've repented. I've turned to the Lord, and you know what he did for me? He canceled all that. I gave it to him, and he put it away. And now, now, third thing to notice, there's no evidence against me anymore. If I've repented, turned from and turned to, and if all that condemning evidence is canceled, all that's left is justifying evidence, vindicating evidence. That's all that's left. If, if one pile of evidence has been canceled, there's only one pile left to be considered. Look at this in verse, uh, second part of verse 22. This is language Protestants ought to get a little jumpy at. What are you talking about here, Ezekiel? Look what he says. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. Okay, we like that. Glory to God. Second part, for the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. And we ought to go, wait a minute. What did the Apostle Paul think when he read that? <laughs> for the righteousness that I've done, I'm going to live? Oof. Verse 27b, second half of verse 27, he says, well, I'll read the whole thing. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. He'll save his life by doing what is just and right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I thought we were Protestant. Was Ezekiel Protestant? Did Paul like Ezekiel? Did he ever quote Ezekiel? So what's going on here? Now, this is Ezekiel's Old Testament effort at the doctrine of justification. Okay? It's incomplete. It's waiting for the New Testament gospel of Jesus to... It's not wrong. It's just not complete because he's living before Christ. Here's how Ezekiel's thinking. He's saying, okay, I'm in God's courtroom... I'm dead to rights guilty. There's a mountain of evidence against me, a big pile, big stinking heap of sin and transgression. Okay? That's the evidence that I'm guilty and dead meat and deserve what I get. Okay. On the other side of the table, there's this much smaller little hill, not a mountain, but a little hill of a few good things I've done, righteous things, where I've sincerely tried to obey the Lord and and be godly and righteous and, and follow God. Okay, there's a little pile of that. I did, I did okay a little bit. It's not perfect, but there it is. And then here's this mountain. And God's in the courtroom. And Ezekiel says, all right, when you repent, God comes along and he obliterates this pile, says he rules it out of court. Okay, that's gone. And now when he makes his judgment, he sees no bad things and only good things. So the only thing he has left to judge you on the basis of is the good things you've done. And so he can look at that and say, well, there's no sin. I don't see any sin here. I only see a sincere effort to obey. 
Now, what Ezekiel doesn't say is that sincere effort to obey earns salvation. That's not a verse sitting here. That verse sitting here. Because what we're looking at is evidence. What we're looking at is evidence. And it's evidence of who belongs to me, who trusts me, who has repented, who belongs to me, and who doesn't. The person who only has the mountain of sin and the little molehill of righteousness, the evidence is clear. That person doesn't belong to me. But if all that other evidence is put away, the only thing God has left to consider is the sincere effort at obedience. And that is confirming evidence that this person does trust me, love me, and belong to me. You got to be careful. It doesn't say that earns salvation. That's worthy of salvation. That deserves salvation. Oh, Wesley, you're so holy and good and pure. Yeah, we put away all your sin, but what's left is just gold, pure gold. Here's heaven, son. No, that's not what Ezekiel says. He's talking about evidence. What does the evidence say about a person? Do you belong to me or do you not? These are covenant conditions. God is going to look at the evidence. He's going to look at the evidence to see who has repented. Who is a covenant keeper? Who is a covenant breaker? Not who earns and deserves, but what does the evidence tell us? Are we looking at a covenant keeper or are we looking at a covenant breaker? That picture is fine for the Old Testament. It waits for a clarification and a completion in the New Testament. And we'll come to that momentarily. First, we've got to go to point two. You see, in the divine justice system, God renders his verdict on the basis of the evidence in each person's life according to the stipulations of his covenant conditions. God will judge and render a verdict on the basis of the evidence of each person's life based on these covenant conditions. The Old Testament had covenant conditions. The Old Covenant, the New Covenant, has covenant conditions. And repentance is the key. Repentance is the key. Repentance means to turn away from. Just simply to turn away from. And it assumes you're turning towards something. Remember, repentance has two parts. But the word itself just means to turn away from something with the implication that you're turning towards something else. And God will judge us, God will judge you, Christian, on the basis of which way you turn. Just like repentance is always a turning from and a turning to, and it never stops moving, it's in action, it's in motion, it's also a two-way street. Because you can repent in the wrong direction. We never think about this because repentance in the Bible usually is a good word. But in Ezekiel, he says there's two kinds of people who repent, who turn. Those who are heading down the, the road of sin who turn to righteousness. And there are those who are heading down the road of righteousness and turn to sin. They make a wrong turn. They repent the wrong way. They turn from the wrong thing. Notice this. God will judge us based on the evidence of which way we have turned. If you turn away from sin to righteousness, you will find salvation. But 
if you turn away from righteousness to sin, you will find condemnation. If you repent in the wrong direction, your righteousness gets canceled. Repentance is always canceling. It all depends on which direction you turn. Notice this in verses 24 and 26. We saw the promises attached to repentance when we turn the right way. Here's the punishments attached to repentance when we turn the wrong way. Verse 24, but when a righteous person turns away, that's repentance, turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Repeated in verse 26. When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice he has done, he shall die. These are the covenant conditions. And what this tells us, Christian, is that apostasy is real. Falling away is a real thing that happens to real people. The question is, what are they falling away from? And in this case, what they're falling away from is that objective covenant that God has put in place. God has made a covenant with his people, and you can be objectively in that covenant, but not have the saving benefits of that covenant alive in your heart. It's called the visible church. That's the community that the objective covenant, the external covenant creates. The covenant creates a community called the visible church with walls and people and worship services, and here we are. You can be a member of a church attached to Christ objectively and eat and externally in his covenant, and you can be a dead branch on the vine, like Jesus warns in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who remains in me and bears fruit will have life, but any branch in me, Jesus says, attached to me that doesn't bear fruit, it's cut off and it's thrown into the fire. There is a category of, of people who is an objective Christian, baptized, in good standing in the church, comes to the Lord's table, maybe been an elder or a deacon, served, maybe gone on a mission trip, who isn't really saved. We all know someone who looked like they were living for the Lord, and then where are they today? They fell away from something, but what they fell away from wasn't salvation. They were on the road to salvation, but they turned the wrong way. They turned the wrong way. Only those who were truly born again, those who have been truly filled with the Holy Spirit, regenerated, born anew, filled with the Spirit, justified, sanctified, on their way to heaven, those people will stay on the right path, the narrow way Jesus calls us to, and they will enter into life. 
but the others who enter onto that road for a while and then somewhere along the way make a wrong turn, they get to the last judgment, Jesus says, and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do X, Y, and Z in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you lawless one, you worker of iniquity. It's possible to be on the right road temporarily and make a wrong turn. Those are the covenant conditions. Repentance is the key. Which way will you turn? Two piles of evidence on the table. And if, you, if you're pursuing righteousness and building up that pile, and then you turn away and you start building up this pile and you don't want to build that one up anymore, you repented the wrong way, God rakes that pile off the table and all that's left is the condemning evidence to consider. Apostasy is real, and that's why we believe that we have to endure to the end to be saved. We have to persevere. We have to keep walking with the Lord. There's no reason as good reformed Calvinists, 5.18-point Calvinists, who just read John Calvin in their devotional time. There's those people. There's no reason for people like that, people like me and you. I know you all read Calvin in your devotional time. There's no reason for us... To think that we can pray a prayer, make a little decision, raise a little hand and sign a card 50 years ago, and then just coast into heaven. No more obedience, no more living for the Lord, no more repentance. I did that. I got my fire insurance card punched. Might have got it punched five or six times. I went forward a hundred times. Right? I went forward how many times did I go forward when I was a kid? I want more punches in my fire insurance card. You get 10 and you get a prize or something. Right? It's a warning that tells us we can fall away and we have to be vigilant to keep on repenting. Keep on following the Lord. Repentance is always canceling. It just depends on which way you turn what gets canceled. Last point this morning. How do we reconcile this? How do we put all this together in the new covenant under Christ and the gospel of Jesus? We have to recognize this. Ezekiel wasn't wrong in verse 30 when he said, there is a final judgment according to works that's coming. Look at verse 30. It says, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. There's a judgment coming. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. And Paul, the great champion of justification by faith alone, salvation by grace, Paul's the man, he agrees with Ezekiel. On this, And he says so in the letter to the Romans, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. He says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Impenitent means won't repent. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing 
seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those, for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, because God shows no partiality. There's a judgment according to works that's coming. And what that means is not God's going to see whether you deserve heaven or whether you deserve hell. And based on your good deeds, you've earned something. And based on your bad deeds, you've earned the other thing. That's not what it means. It means God is going to judge in accord with the evidence. What does the evidence tell the Lord? Someone who was pursuing righteousness and said, ah, forget it after 30 years, I'm done. I'm going to live the last few years in some good times. And I've done that Jesus thing long enough. When you only live once, after all, I want to enjoy the last little bit I have, maybe a little bit of sin. And then repented and turned away, and they went back to the world. What does that tell the Lord? What evidence? What, what does that suggest to him? It suggests you don't really belong to him that you repented the wrong way. But if he looks at this other side and says, yep, that is a blatantly condemning pile of unrighteousness, no questions asked, guilty as a day is long, but he repented. So we cancel all that, and we just look at what's left, evidence of a new heart that loves me and repents and belongs to me. Evidence of a person who really belongs to me and really trusts me. Not evidence of someone who's earned something. I keep saying that because I, I don't want you to miss that. The judgment according to works is God looking at the evidence and seeing what does the evidence tell me is the state of this person spiritually. In New Testament terms, to sum it up, in New Testament terms, God will look for the evidence that we have truly come to Christ for salvation in Him alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. He will look to see, have we really made that turn? Are you really trusting Jesus as your all-sufficient, righteous Savior? Have you really looked to Him to give you the righteousness you need and you are pursuing a life of discipleship following Him that is the evidence that you really have come to Christ and belong to Him? That's what He wants to see. Is there evidence that you really did come to Jesus with real faith and real repentance? Because Christian, real faith, the Bible calls living faith, not dead faith. Dead faith is I made a decision one time or I just checked off a couple of boxes and now I think I'm good to go. That's dead faith. It's not alive. It's not living for the Lord. But real saving faith is a gift from God. It's supernatural that he puts in your heart and gives you a new heart and puts a new spirit in you and fills you with his spirit and causes you to walk in his ways. Faith can no more be separated from good works and obedience than light from a flame. That's just what a flame is, light and heat. It just, you don't have a flame without light and heat, and you don't have real, biblical, saving, living faith without love and good works. The love and the good works don't earn anything from God, but they are the evidence that you do have a flame and that you belong to Him. 
salvation by repentance and faith, trusting in Christ alone, that always leads to a new life. If the new life is missing, you never really repented. And if you never really repented, you never really came to Christ in a saving way. You might be in his orbit in the church, but you've never closed with Christ and done business with the Savior. You don't have the real thing. You have the external stuff, and that's fine, but you don't have the real saving issue in your heart. If you've never repented, you've never really come to Christ. And the evidence that you really came to Christ is a new life. Not a perfect life, an ongoing life of repentance where you constantly come back to Jesus and trust him alone to save you and rely on the Holy Spirit to help lead you in a path of obedience that sincerely lives to please him. Out of gratitude and love for your neighbor, not out of a sense of now I gotta go earn it. You're not climbing a ladder to heaven but you are demonstrating the evidence that you're a new creature in Christ. So persevere, Christian. Persevere. Keep going. Learn that daily rhythm of repentance that Lent is supposed to help us cultivate, where we repent every day and keep living for the Lord. You see, God is loving and he is just. As he says in verse 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Or verse 32, the last verse of the prophecy, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Hear the Lord today saying, My favorite thing to do isn't to condemn people. My favorite thing to do is to forgive and to cancel that mountain of sin that condemns you. So turn today and live. Christian, if you hear him calling to you today, renew that repentance. If you don't know the Lord today, hear him calling. Come, repent today and live. Turn and live. Why will you die when such grace is available to you? Come by faith to the Savior. Repent of that old sin and God will put it away. Why? Because the cross of Christ paid it all paid for that sin dealt with the penalty took away your condemnation and now nothing but grace is offered to you so repent and believe and live let's pray Father, we thank you for the power of your word, and we ask that you would indeed stir our hearts to look outside of ourselves and away from our own worthiness as we repent and turn from sin over and over again to you. We come back to Christ always and his blood and his righteousness that paid it all for us. We put our faith in that. We bank on that. Our whole soul and our whole eternity, we rest upon the arms of an almighty Savior today. We belong to Christ And we so long to bear the evidence of that trust in Christ and that new heart that you give us by your Holy Spirit. We so long to bear the evidence which looks like obedience, which looks like hearing the word of God and doing it, which looks like ongoing repentance, which looks like the fruit of the Spirit, which looks like love for one another, which looks like all the things the Bible calls us to do and to be conform us into Christ, make us more like him. May we always bear the fruit of faith and repentance in our lives. 
Keep us walking on the narrow way. Do not forsake us. Do not let us go. Protect us from temptation. Lead us not into evil. Deliver us, we pray. Keep us for eternal life as we give you the glory and look to Christ alone who paid it all for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.